0: Take A move that I make I give it everything I got Cause that what it takes I push the limit till it break The heart of the brave The soul of a legend With the will to be great Hold up Welcome! <laughs> What's up everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, coming at you as I love to do several times a week, anytime and anywhere you can find a free podcast. You can find No Mercy with Stephen A. As usual, this segment, this episode is being brought to you from our official studios, by our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. You know, I've been thinking about Kobe Bryant a lot lately. I've been thinking about the Black Mamba. I've been thinking about the greatness that he put on display on so many occasions, particularly during the postseason. The pull-up jays, the fallaways, the drives into the lane, the dunks in the open court, you know, the fake, the spin moves, the contested jump shots, the spot-up threes, the threes off the dribble, just an unstoppable, unstoppable presence. And you know what they say, the greatest compliment in the world is imitation. The greatest compliment in the world is imitation. And when I look at this brother, Devin Booker, that is what I think about. So much so that I've coined a new nickname for Devin Booker. It's the light skin mamba. That's right. That's what I Not the black mamba, but the light skin mamba. He's that dude, y'all. He's that dude. The Phoenix Suns in game four, Sunday night, tied this series with their victory over the Denver Nuggets, 129-124. The series is tied 2-2. I didn't think it could get to this point, to be quite honest with you, the way that they looked, meaning the Phoenix Suns in the first two games. Let's get this out of the way right now. The way they looked in the first two games, I stand by what the hell I was saying. I thought this series was going to be over in five. Do you know that the Phoenix Suns came into game three in Phoenix averaging a postseason low of any team in the postseason. 14.3 points from its bench. 14.3 points from its bench. Yet somehow, someway, Chris Paul gets hurt. And lo and behold, the Phoenix Suns look better than they did the two games with them. Cameron Payne is your starting point guard. He's pushing the pace, pushing the ball up the floor. Landry Shaman and TJ Warren are coming off the bench, making a contribution. You had somebody like Shaman come off the bench. On this particular evening, 19 points, 6 of 9 shooting from the field, 5 of 8 from three-point range. He did his thing. He wasn't Booker, who dropped 36. He wasn't KD, who also dropped 36. Oh, by the way. Speaking of KD, 11 of 19 shooting, 2 or 4 from three-point range. But Devin Booker following up his 47-point explosion in game three when he hit 20 or 25 shots. What does he do on this particular night? Again, 14 of 18. That's 77.8% for those of you who don't know. For those of you who don't have the math available to you right now, this is what this brother does. On the regular, he's something special. He's something special. The light Skin Mamba. That's what I'm calling him because he's that kind of dude. And right now, because of it, the Denver Nuggets are on their heels. You're the Denver Nuggets. You got some things to think about. Okay? Jamal Murray, you know, he did some things well. There's no doubt about that. He's been struggling from three-point range. But in this game last night, or Sunday night rather, he did hit 13 to 25 shots. That's about 52% from the field. Only attempted three three three-pointers, hit one of them. He finished the game with 28. Jokic is just something special. Can't jump onto a curb. Slow as a snail. He doesn't walk, he waddles. And still, you can't stop him. 53 points, 20 or 30 shooting, two or four from three-point range, 11 or 13 from the free throw line. To go with 11 rebounds. That's what he did. Had six turnovers. Who cares? He is something special. There's no doubt about that. But Devin Booker, at some point in time, it's just appropriate to have this conversation. It's appropriate to have the conversation about how gifted and great this brother is. What he brings to the table. And the fact that you're the Phoenix Suns and Monty Williams spend the latter part of the regular season, the eight or so games he had with Kevin Durant, along with this postseason, the first round series against the Los Angeles Clippers and this second round series against the Denver Nuggets, literally not using his bench and Devin Booker averaging. About 43 minutes a game comes at you, and what is he giving you? He's giving you this level of point production, averaging over 30 in the series, actually leading all scorers, averaging about 37 a game in the postseason. That's what he is. That's the light-skinned mamba, y'all. It's the light-skinned mamba. And as a result, Phoenix's postseason hopes have been resurrected. They got a shot now. They got a shot to beat Denver. The pressure is now on the Denver Nuggets because the way you've looked, you certainly don't want to come back to Phoenix down three, two. All the pressure is on Denver to win game five. They're, you know, Coach Mike Malone said they left their defense back in Denver or someplace in the desert. He's probably right. But that has a lot to do with Booker. And it has more and it has a lot to do with KD. But Booker has been the star of this team. Even when Kevin Durant was a member of the the Golden State Warriors playing alongside the Splash Brothers, he wasn't second fiddle. Regardless of how great Steph Curry was, he wasn't second fiddle to Steph Curry. He damn sure wasn't second fiddle to Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. And he certainly wasn't second fiddle to Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. This is the first time in Kevin Durant's career we could actually look at him and say he's second fiddle to Devin Booker. And that's not an insult to KD. It's props. To Devin Booker and how this brother has elevated his level of play. That's what we're talking about here. The light skin mamba. Go look at him play. Look at the pull-ups. Look at the spin moves. Look at him driving left, driving right. Look at the pump fakes. Look at the spot up threes. It reminds you of somebody, somebody he idolized. Somebody the world idolized. In the Black Mamba, that is Kobe Bryant. I said it two years ago when he was in the NBA Finals, okay? And I'm saying it again. He's that dude. He's that dude. And if Devin Booker continues to play this way, I don't know what the hell Denver's going to do about it. They've been, they've been in the contest. They've been fighting, scratching and clawing, give them their props, but damn, it ain't been enough in games three and four. And now they go back to Denver, series tied 2-2. All Phoenix got to do is win one, because Denver don't want to come back to Phoenix and have to play the Suns game six in the Valley. And so they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. So I just wanted to get that out the way. And staying with the Denver Nuggets-Phoenix Suns game, uh, with about 2.30 left in the in the second quarter, Jokic got into a little tussle. Our, um, ball goes out of bounds. He's going to get the ball. The ball is being held, apparently, by a fan who doesn't want to give the ball back, right? Jokic is basically trying to get the ball, uses his left arm, and basically shrugs him off. You could tell he extended the arm, and a lot of people are making noise because it, it, it could potentially warrant a suspension. We got to be honest and real about that. You can't rule anything out with today's NBA. Jokic could actually get suspended for game five off of this. Now, the question is, should he be? All right. Here's the thing that would make it interesting, y'all. This is the funny part. Do y'all know who had the ball in his hands? The new owner for the Phoenix Suns, uh, for the Phoenix Suns, Matt Ishbia. He bought the team for over four billion dollars. He had the ball in his hands and he didn't want to give it up. Now, me personally, I don't think Jokic knew who it was. I don't think that he he, that he knew that was the owner of the Phoenix Suns. I genuinely I genuinely don't believe he knew that. All right. Now, some people will say it doesn't matter. Okay, what if it wasn't the owner and it was just a typical fan? You shoved a fan. That's what they would say. Let me say this First of all I don't want no damn Playoff game being decided About this series Being decided about Something like this Jokic out game five That puts Denver in a hole Hell no Let the players decided On the basketball court I'm telling the NBA right now Do not suspend this man Do not suspend this man Secondly Here's the biggest reason Matt Ishbia Bravo man Bravo I mean, damn, that was a flop that Vlade Divac couldn't have pulled off. I mean, come on. I, I, I mean, are you kidding me? Did y'all see the way he fell back? I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. I know you want to win desperately, but damn, you're going to try like that with Devin Booker and KD playing the way that he's playing. Why are you going out like that, man? Win it all costs. Is that what you're about? I thought you had a crew. You got a great coach, Monty Williams. You got great stars in Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. You got a pretty damn good roster. You ended up tying the series 2-2, two, two, even though you didn't know it at the time. But I mean, you want to flop like that by any means necessary, huh? Uh-uh, I uh, we see you. We see you. I will say this, though. Coach Malone for the Denver Nuggets was hilarious. In the post game, he said, I think it's crazy that Nikola Jokic got a technical foul because he did get a technical foul for that. He said he's going to get the ball and some fan is holding on to the ball like he wants to be a part of the game. The reporter then responded, The fan was the owner of the Suns. Malone's response, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that kind of reaction. I really, really do. But to the NBA, Listen, it's debatable. He went into the stands. He was near courtside. The ball was right there out of bounds. You know, I mean, that's where he went. He didn't go into the stands. He didn't climb up rafters or anything like that. No, I want to understand. I want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And I don't want a playoff series being decided by the league deciding to dispense to suspend Jokic for a game. Don't do that. The technical foul was more than enough. You want to give him a fine? That's fine. But you make sure he's playing in K5. Because if you don't play him in game five, and then Denver loses game five, and they come back, and then Phoenix wins game six, what are we going to be saying? You suspended Jokic. You dropped 53 points in game four, and you took him away from the Nuggets. That ain't right. Let the players play. Let them decide the outcome on the court. NBA, I say this affectionately because I love all of y'all. Mind your damn business. Mind your damn business. Let the players play. This ain't that egregious that I mean, a damn actor. He clearly has taken acting lessons. I I might go to him to learn how to flop. That's how good he was at that. I want to hear that. More NBA playoff action coming up. I got a lot more stuff to get into, especially in the Eastern Conference with the Sixers and the Knicks and the Celtics and the Miami Heat. Don't touch that dial stick around. You're listening to your boy Stephen A. With no mercy. More in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Let me stay out west for a second. I was at the Lakers Warriors game Saturday night. If that's what you want to call it a game. What an atrocious performance. What an embarrassing, pathetic performance put on display by the reigning defending world champions. I know it's just a game. But you ain't supposed to lose like that. They were at a deficit in the first quarter, came back, took the lead, was up by about 11, and then stopped playing. Spacing was off, couldn't hold on to the ball, turning the ball over, getting stripped, didn't look like they were playing with any degree of urgency whatsoever. It was embarrassing. Saturday night. After the game, they went to Mr. Chow as a team. I don't even know why they were allowed to go eat. They should have been starved. They should have went back to their rooms. They should have had to order room service. And the hotel should have said we ran out of food. That's how bad they were. That's how bad they were. Now, do I believe they'll come back and win game four? Yes, I do, because I don't believe they can come back from a 3-1 deficit. Take that back. They can come back, but it would be daunting to say the least. A 3-1 deficit against LeBron James and AD is not a predicament that the reigning defending champion Golden State Warriors want to be in, even with the Splash Brothers doing what they do. Now, a lot of reasons I feel that way is because of this dude, Jordan Poole. Last time I checked, he gets a check. Last time I checked, he wears a Golden State uniform, just like the rest of the team. Last time I checked, he's on a team bus. He gets, He's in the team hotels. He gets that per diem. He gets those mails. He's got a salary, $140 million contract. He got his bag. Where the hell he been? Where the hell he's, has he been? It has not been impressive. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry can only do but so much game to game. They can amp it up. They can take it to another level. But they shouldn't have to because Poole is gifted enough to play better than he's playing. I'm sorry. You know Anthony Davis is on the other side. You know, every old, uh, the all odd games, odd games, ladies and gentlemen, games one, three, and five in the first round. Games one and three in the second round. This man is averaging 28 and 17 on 55% shooting. In the even number games, two, four, and six, first round. Game two of this series, this brother is averaging 13 points and 10 rebounds or 40% shooting. You know, that's the kind of stuff that makes me wonder what the hell you're doing on off days. That's the kind of stuff that makes me wonder what you're doing. I wondered it about my Knicks against Miami. Why can't I wonder it about Anthony Davis? What the hell is going on that you can't play back-to-back games? Did you know the statistics, ladies and gentlemen? Let me throw this out about you. Let me throw this out at you. 37 different players this postseason have scored 20 or more points in back-to-back games. Not one of them is Anthony Davis. Can y'all explain that? How in the hell? Can Anthony Davis, who can walk around averaging 28 and 10 in his sleep, how can you not score 20 points in back-to-back games of a postseason and 37 other players managed to do it? You have any idea what the hell kind of thoughts that provoke about you? Anthony Davis, when he's on his game, is a superstar in this league, one of the top seven players in the game. The reason why he can't be considered a top seven or a top 10 or an even top 15 is because of the sporadic, the sporadic play he puts forth on a game in game out basis. Do you understand that as we sit here today getting ready to enter game four Monday night with the Lakers hosting the Golden State Warriors at the Crypto.com Arena? Do you understand the assumption? by the basketball world, is that Anthony Davis is going to stick up the joint just because he had a big game, scoring 25 points with 13 rebounds in game three? For no other reason other than it's the next game. Because he can't put back-to-back games together. That don't make no damn sense. But that's what Anthony Davis is doing. So as I told his peeps, and I tell him, I know how big time he is. I know he could ball, but damn, could you show us in back-to-back nights? Can you do that? I love the level of sensitivity all of these cats walk around with. You got Land- J- Landale, this, the center for the Phoenix Suns, opening his mouth. Talk about what he's sick of hearing. You're lucky anybody even want to talk to you. You're lucky you in a position to give a damn quote. You sick of people getting on DeAndre Ayton. Well, if he played, you wouldn't get on him. The brother had four points. Four in game three. That's why we were talking about him. He had four points. Jokic had a triple-double. And if it wasn't for Booker and KD, you'd have lost game three. And we looking at DeAndre Aiden. and I say, why don't you just be honest and tell us the truth? You already booked your flight to the Bahamas. You ain't interested in playing. That's what really was we were talking about, because we know how you can play. But we also know that you didn't show up in game three. You did better in game four. Give you credit for that. I'm looking at your numbers right here. Still not much. Only eight points on three or six shooting. But you were active. You had eight rebounds. You had a block. You were trying. But when you look at yourself, DeAndre Ayton, and you got eight points, but Jokic has 53, what the hell are we supposed to think about you? You got the offer from the Indiana Pacers. It was matched by the Phoenix Suns. They didn't want to lose you. You're 6'11 with skills. But you getting your ass kicked. Somebody got to say something. And Mr. Landale. Jock Landale, to be exact. My brother. Be happy there's reporters in front of your face that actually care about a quote from you. That's an epiphany in and of its damn self. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. We got to analyze and evaluate basketball like we're seeing it. Same as we're going to do with Anthony Davis. We're going to watch Anthony Davis because if Anthony Davis is playing big time, then you can expect the Lakers to have a real, real good shot at winning this game. LeBron James didn't even shoot a uh, have a field goal attempt in the first quarter. It's never happened with him in the postseason, but it did in game three. Wasn't necessary because D'Angelo Russell was putting on the show in those first 12 minutes. Major props to him. But the Lakers, it's clear when it comes to the Warriors, will go as Anthony Davis takes them. It's that simple. Switching to the Eastern Conference. Boston and, and, and Philadelphia, epic game. Props and love to James Harden. We're going to get on him when he's stinking up the joint. Because after dropping 45 points in game one and games two and three, he was god-awful. He was god-awful. He was like three or 16 from threes over those two games. Five or 28 from the field. Shooting about 16%. He was horrible. And it was reminiscent of various player performances that he had put forth before. But game four? With the season on the line, because there's no way in hell that the Philadelphia 76ers were coming back from a 3-1 deficit against the Boston Celtics. It just wasn't going to happen. I'm here to tell you right now. It was not going to happen. Philadelphia handled their business. I got to give props where props is due. Overtime, 116, 115. Helped by Coach Missoula, by the way. You got to call a timeout. You don't call a timeout. It takes you about five seconds to get up the court. You chew all of that up. Okay? So you chew all of that up. You, instead of being in a position where you can miss and still get a rebound, or you could miss, you could foul them, they can hit free, two free throws, and you would still have an opportunity to tie the game at three because you were only down one, what do you do? You say, go ahead and take it. And then you don't ensure that Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown take the shot. It's Marcus Smart who took the shot. That's not good. There's nobody that can say anything about that. But that's what happened. You didn't handle your business in that regard. There's no denying that. And as a result, y'all ended up losing the game. It's that simple. We can slice it any way we want to. That's what the hell happened. That's what the hell happened. But having said all of that, Boston still came back. They amped up their defense. They caused the Sixers all types of problems. Give respect where it's to. Because they deserve that. But more than anything, give love to James Harden. We're going to knock him when he messes up. We got to give him props when he shows up. 45 in game one, 42 today in game four. Sunday, game four, Philadelphia, Wells Fargo Arena. This brother dropped 42 points. Hit threes from all over the place, driving to the basket, breaking down cats off the dribble and playing bully ball. I saw him shove several defenders aside. Harden looked strong. He looked spry. He looked in shape, ready to go. And he didn't cower in a moment. Give the brother some love. He showed up. I started off today saying, why the hell would the Houston Rockets want him back? If you email Udoka, if you got Green and Jabari Smith Jr. and Kenyon Martin Jr. and these cats, why would you need James Harden? But then James Harden went out there and showed you why the hell you would want him back. How he could help them young bloods in Houston be a better team next year. He's beloved by H Town. We all know that. So I got to give him love. He showed up big time. I wish I could say the same for my New York Knicks, but I cannot. I'm gonna start off this conversation by saying. I'm going to give love to Jimmy Buckets. Had 28 points in game three. They beat up on the Knicks the Miami Heat, that is, from start to finish. Now, my opinion is a logical explanation for this. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you're in the playoffs, there aren't back-to-back games. And so you have to go to a city the night before the game. The New York Knicks had to go to Miami. They were in Miami on a Friday night. No game. Now, I know it's playoffs. I know that. I know they're committed, they're focused. I get it. I have no evidence, and even if I did, I wouldn't confirm it because I don't dine people out like that. It's none of my business, but as a person that has visited South Beach more times than I can count, as a person who loves South Beach as much or more than any human being on the planet that I know, as somebody who's very, very familiar with South Beach, I find it very difficult to believe that the New York Knicks were not distracted by the allure of South Beach. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Damn it, Jalen Brunson only had 20 points. Damn it, him and Julius Randle combined to shoot, what was it, like three, uh, uh, 16 from three-point range. Julius Randle only had 10 points. Don't get me started with the Quickleys and the R.J. Barrett's and the OB Toppins and the Mitchell Robinsons of the world. The New York Knicks lose games. They win games. But what's consistent is the fight, how they scratch and they claw, and they don't go away. They're like, Pest and piranhas, they keep coming. They don't bow to anybody. They don't get punked. They don't get beat up from start to finish. They fight, 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 fight. That didn't happen Saturday afternoon. I think I know why. You see, Julius Randle came into the arena with shorts on. You know, he's chilling. See that's the brother that was sitting out there in the sun, and that sun does have an effect on you. You know, you know, it, it can zap some of your energy, your focus. You know, you can look in the sunshine and and it's like, yo, man, damn, we got to play a basketball game today. I mean, this is hard because <laughs> this is this is nice. Let me tell you something. Miami is the only place that I've been to. I went on. A, I went. I was going. I was checking into a hotel a couple months ago. About a month ago, I was there in a hotel. And they didn't have my room ready for three hours. They said, it's about three hours away, Mr. Smith. Very sorry you showed up very early. You have to wait for your room to get ready. And I wasn't upset at all. Didn't bother me one bit. Because they said, the rooftop is open. And I went up in the rooftop and they had all these lounge chairs on, these lounge beds and stuff like that. And I just sat out there for three hours. And that breeze coming off of Biscayne Bay. And the sunshine trickled in a whole bit. And and it just felt like paradise. It was pretty difficult to get up to go to work later on that day. That's the kind of effect Miami can have on you. I say all of that to say, I'm going to give the Knicks a pass. For their putrid performance in game three. Get focused now for game four. We got business to handle. Jimmy Buck is trying to send you home early. Let's not let that happen. Let's even this series up. Go back to the garden for game five. Come back to Miami with the heat on its heels down three, two. That is the goal. Somehow, some way, I find myself concerned. It's about that sunshine, that breeze off the bay, and South Beach, just as much as I'm concerned about Jimmy Butler. Call me crazy. I don't care. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Got a lot more to get into. Some more serious matters. Yokim uh, Noah, former NBA player, doing some special things with a basketball league. Phil Knight, the founder and the boss of Nike, doing some big things as well. What does any of that have to do with gun violence? I'll explain in a minute. You're listening to No Mercy with your boy Stephen A. Don't touch that dial. This is the moment of a lifetime uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? What's up, everybody? Welcome back uh, to No Mercy. Um, I'm looking at a couple of things that I wanted to point out because it's a couple of things that are very, very important. I want to take a moment to give props to Phil Knight, the founder and the big boss, for Nike uh, as Portland area leaders celebrated Phil Knight and his wife investing $400 million in Black Portlanders. Um, You just can't say enough about this. Reading from a particular article, It says here local politicians in Portland are celebrating the news that Nike co-founder Phil Knight and his wife Penny have pledged $400 million to support black Portlanders. The investment flowing through a new initiative called the 1803 Fund is meant to directly aid black Portlanders in a part of town with a long history of government neglect. The inner north and northeast Portland areas, or neighborhoods rather, once known as Albina. Multnomah County. I believe that's how it's pronounced, M-U-L-T-N-O-M-A-H. If I mispronounced it, my apologies, but it sounds like Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega Peterson called the work by the Black-led 1803 fund that landed the Knights' donation bold and visionary with its goal to restore some of the harm created by generations of policies and actions. It also expands opportunities for the Black community to self-determine a future, where the entire community can thrive, according to Vega Peterson. The historic Albina neighborhood was once the hub of Black commerce and community in Portland, yet decades of government-led urban renewal projects, like the construction of the Memorial Coliseum and Legacy Emanuel Hospital, paired with years of housing discrimination and gentrification, forced many Black residents to leave. So obviously in an effort to restore uh, that neighborhood, that area, to return commerce and opportunities, obviously to that. That's something that they're doing. Major props to him. I'll get to why it's important in a second, as it pertains to something else that's happened. Yo, um, Kim Noah, Joe Kim Noah, former Chicago Bull, uh, former New York Nick, former NBA Defensive Player of the Year, spent the best years of his career in Chicago. Helped the franchise reach the playoffs seven times, according to the trip to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2011. Um, This dude, this dude, Joakim Noah, has returned to Chicago and is looking to give back to his old stomping grounds by launching an innovative new basketball league, One City Basketball League. That's the title of it. Um... Chicago has always been a great deal to him. He's always been a guy that's been a part of the community, that's been entrenched in the community, that has given back. He's one of the best people, one of the best humanitarians in sports, as far as I'm concerned. I didn't know him that well, never talked to him much, but always had profound respect for this two-time national champion out of Florida. Won two national championships with Al Horford at Florida for the Gators before coming into the NBA. But when we learn about this league, listen to this for the One City Basketball League. I mean, some of this stuff is fascinating. I got to give props where it's due as I'm reading more and more about it because I wanted everybody to know this stuff, all right? You're talking about them. If you're playing in the league, what you want to do is... um, One City Basketball League in Chicago this month in collaboration with 28 violence prevention groups... It will provide financial incentives for players, off-court programs, and job opportunities. That's what the hell I'm talking about. You know something, ladies and gentlemen? Because when you have something to lose, society is a better place. We don't like talking about that much, but to put it in layman's terms, as a society, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I'm reading from an article here, and we don't know the details or anything like that, but there was a shooting, yet another one, another mass shooting, 30 miles north of Dallas, Texas, nine people killed, including the suspect, killed Saturday at a Dallas area outlet mall in a shooting that sent shoppers into a panic as they fled for their lives. Seven people died at Allen Premium Outlets, and two more were pronounced dead at the hospital. Allen Fire Department Chief Jonathan Boyd said, among those who were injured, three remained in critical condition Saturday night and four had been stabilized. This is according to the latest reports. The name of the suspect was not immediately released, nor were the names of the victims. But another shooting is taking place. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's hard. It's a hard subject to avoid. It really, really is. Sports is my background, even though I'm not afraid to venture into any kind of subject that's pertinent to the masses, personally speaking. But I got to tell you something. It scares the living hell out of me. It should scare the living hell out of all of us. What the hell is going on in this world? Every time you turn around, there's some sort of violence that's taking place. And a lot of times I was one of those conspiracy theorists. I was like, yo, they just putting stuff out there. They want to scare the public because you got politicians and uh, and the like and you got you got you got folks that want to manipulate the masses so they can have folks voting in one direction or another you got all of that kind of stuff going on but you know what dead bodies are dead bodies and we can't avoid that and I'm not going to take a definitive position because the reality is I don't know what the right answer is but I will tell you what question has been really really permeating my thoughts I am totally against individuals walking around being able to carry AR-15s or AK-47s. But it's one thing to stipulate what kind of weapons shouldn't be in the hands of ordinary citizens. It's another thing entirely to say, guess what? Everything should be about gun control. None of our citizens should have, uh, have should have concealed weapons. You know why I got a problem with that? Because the bad guys always get a hold of them. The bad guys always find a way to get a hold of them. An off-duty police officer saved the lives of Lord knows how many in this mall shooting 30 miles north of Dallas. But he didn't save the eight people that got killed. What are you to do? If you don't have a firearm, but the bad guys do. I'm not an advocate of people not having to have a license to carry and you could just go to a gun shop, purchase a gun. You don't have to have a permit. You don't have to have a license like exists in some states in the United States right now. I got a problem with that. I got a problem with some of those stand your ground laws in Florida and other places. I have a problem with that. My personal opinion is I don't think anybody should have better weapons than law enforcement. That means your local PDs, that means the FBI, that means the DEA, the ATF, all of that. No, we shouldn't have better weapons than them. But I And maybe you could make the argument, we shouldn't just be a, allowed to walk around in the streets with firearms. But come to me and talk to me about that when you do a better job of keeping firearms out of the hands of the bad guys. Come talk to me then. Because I ain't some right wing zealot that's out there talking about, damn it, I ain't giving up my guns. I'm going to hold on to my guns, damn it. I'm not one of those dudes. Hell, I ain't even a conservative. I'm just not a liberal. I'm a centrist. I'm from the party of common sense. You don't need an AK-47. You don't need an AR-15. You don't need a whole bunch. I, I, I mean, come on. Some of these weapons that exist. No, you don't need all of that. But a 9 millimeter handgun? Yeah, I ain't a no problem with that. You have being allowed to have that in your car. You being allowed to have that in your home. I'm not sure I have a problem with that. Even though that might not have necessarily helped somebody. That ain't allowed to carry it in a mall. By the way, we talking about Texas. So chances are, I don't know the laws in Texas, but chances are you're probably allowed to carry a firearm. I'm just talking in generalities here. I'm sick and tired. Of the bad guys always seeming to have an edge. And what we want to talk about is, you know, guns, guns, guns. Let's get gun control. There's over 330 million people in the United States of America. There are over 390 to 400 million guns. Everybody keeps throwing out that number to point out that we got a gun control problem. I'm saying the real problem is who's getting a hold of those guns. That's the real problem. The real problem are the hands in possession of those guns. That's the real problem. I'm not saying the proliferation of guns should be advocated for. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be diminished to some degree, because I am saying that. But I got to tell you, when I see what Phil Knight is doing, you think that Phil Knight isn't influenced by these mass shootings he's hearing about? the crime and pestilence that he sees being so pervasive in our communities throughout America and damn sure right there in Portland. He ain't doing this for nothing. A $400 million pledge. Where you think that's coming from? Because he understands that stuff is disintegrating and degrading before our very eyes. And somebody has got to do something. And we got politicians sitting up there. Oh, what a great, great gesture. Well, what the hell are you going to do with the money? Because you better put infrastructure in place. You better do what the hell that you can to make sure you create job opportunities for people in desolate and disenfranchised communities so they'll have something to lose. Because when anybody will tell you, the most dangerous person in the world are people who have nothing to lose. They feel they've got nothing. You don't want to go against people like that. Some of these people know they're going to die. They don't care. You know why? Because to them, death is better than the lives they have. You can't fight against that. With more weapons. You can't fight against that by ignoring them. You have to fight against it by contributing to elevating the quality of life of the poorest amongst us while simultaneously putting people in better positions to protect themselves because police officers can't do everything. This officer, supposedly an off-duty police officer, or at least an officer who wasn't supposed to be on the scene came on the scene and took out the assailant but that was after he had taken eight lives and critically injured three more. they're lost they don't they're not coming back but maybe They would still be here if they were in a position to better protect themselves because they were armed. That's why I can't vibe with people that sit up there and say, get the guns, get rid of the guns, get rid of the guns. I would be all for it if you could assure me the bad guys wouldn't get them. But they always do. And that's the problem. That's why Phil Knight's doing what he's doing. That's why Joe Kim Noah is doing what he's doing. They're trying to contribute to uplifting communities because they know the ripple effect will be stemming the tide of the proliferation of violence that's taking place in this country. It's affecting our election right now. You don't know that? Trump wouldn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of winning the general election if fear wasn't a factor. But because of the violence that has been permeating throughout the streets of America, he's going to sit up there and say, yo, the liberals ain't the answer. Look at what they're, they're more focused on the woke culture. They're more focused on making sure that our borders are not protected and that transgender rights are elevated and stuff like that. That's what he's going to say. And people are going to look at their pocketbook and they're going to look at safety. That exist in this country. They're going to measure it all together. And they're going to say. We don't like neither one of these dudes. Biden's going to be 82. Trump is as divisive as ever. But who's the candidate. That's going to give me. A better quality of life. That's what people are going to say. That's where all of this is going. Keep ignoring your boy Stephen A. I've been in these streets all my life. I know what I'm seeing. Do you? Listen, there's a lot going on. And like I said, as much as I'm against gun violence and as much as I wish we've got, we have, we've had, we had our gun laws under control. The reality of the situation is, is that I can't get around the fact that These are dangerous times. Look at what New York is going through right now. I'm reading from a headline, no charges yet for the man who put a black homeless New Yorker in a chokehold on an F train in New York City this past Monday. I mean, think about this for a second. This guy, Jordan Neely, he was a Michael Jackson impersonator, you know, on, on the trains and the subway system in New York for years. Okay, according to a witness, basically, A journalist, his name was Juan Alberto Vasquez, who witnessed the incident and posted a video depicting part of the encounter on his Facebook page, nearly yelled that he was tired, that he didn't care if he went to prison and that he was ready to die. He said nearly took off his jacket and aggressively threw it on the floor of the subway car. Then Vasquez wrote a passenger who we later learned was a 24-year-old Marine Corps veteran Put Neely in a chokehold. Video shows the passenger um, with his arms on the ground with his arms wrapped around Neely's neck. Here's where I understand the outrage. Because when I talk about the outrage, people were in the streets and in the subway system this weekend protesting. You know, over 300 people jumped on the train tracks, blocking subway, blocking subway transit from moving. All right, and got into tussles with police officers and stuff like that. Ladies and gentlemen, the late great representative John Lewis once talked about good trouble. In some people's eyes, that's exactly what it is. It's good trouble. You protest, you cause chaos, you do what you can within legal means to some degree anyway to bring attention to the issues that need attention brought to it. And if you're protesting, then because you're protesting, that's why you get arrested. That's called good trouble in some people's eyes, as long as you don't harm others along the way. You inconvenience people, sure, but harming others is an entirely different matter. I didn't hear about people being harmed. I heard about people being inconvenienced. That's called good trouble. Having said all of that, understand why it's perceived as good trouble. Because the chokehold that Neely was put in, according to Vasquez, was for about 15 minutes. Here's my issue. As a Marine Corps veteran, if you're skilled enough and trained enough to know how to put people in a chokehold, you also know when enough's enough. 15 minutes. Now, two other people were helping him restrain this homeless individual named Jordan Neely. So he wasn't alone. But 15 minutes, legs flailing. Eyes rolling up into his head before they ultimately closed. This is what witnesses say. There's two parts to this. I totally understand why people are in the uproar. It makes perfect sense in that regard. But there's another side that can't be ignored. And we can act like we want to ignore it all we want to. But if you're a human being and you saw this, you were shocked. If you perceive it as unprovoked violence against a homeless man, that's an issue. On the other hand, to me, which is why I support Mayor Adams in New York City when he talked about an investigation is being done by the DA's office. Let's see what they come up with. The reason I support it is because he said, hey. There were other witnesses there. What if those witnesses say he was a threat? What if those witnesses say they were scared for their lives? Because we do know that there's been a whole bunch of nonsense going on in the subway system in New York City for a little while now. Do I think this was justified? In all likelihood, no. But the reality of the situation is a 24-year-old Marine Corps veteran didn't get on the train looking to put somebody in a chokehold and kill him. For all intended purposes, he was minding his business until this situation erupted. Not knowing what was going to happen, he came to the defense of himself and those other passengers. That could be his story. What do the other passengers have to say? Some pertinent questions that need to be asked. Exactly what happened is the video all there is to see. Was it caught from start to finish? What did the other passengers say? Did the other passengers feel endangered? Did they deem it necessary because they felt that it was that difficult to restrain him? Did they feel that the chokehold was excessive? Were they telling him to let go of him and let him out of the chokehold, let Jordan Neely out of the chokehold, but the Marine Corps veteran refused to do so? All of these questions are a part of an investigation. They're questions that require answers. I certainly don't like the fact that a black man was choked to death. I certainly don't like like the fact that another black man is dead. I certainly don't want that. I don't want to see another black man dying. None of us do. I'd hope. But in the end, it, get back, it gets back to what prompted this discussion. We've gotten to a point in our society where violence is so normal. It's so pervasive. It's so prevalent that it's expected. And people ain't willing to wait around, but so much for law enforcement to come to the rescue because they don't feel they have the time. Time is not on their side in that moment. So guess what? When that's your train of thought, anything could happen. People could die from shootings. Assailants could get killed by police officers. Or folks could get choked to death by somebody who's either a vigilante or a murderer, depending on which side you pick. That's the world we're living in right now. And I got to admit, it's scary as hell. One minute is Dallas, another minute is Colorado, another minute is Minnesota, New York, California, everywhere you turn, Florida. There seems to be no escape. Something's got to be done. It's going to take all of us. That's it for this edition of No Mercy. I'll catch y'all next time. Looking forward to enjoying some more NBA action as this season, these playoffs continue to unfold. But obviously there's other issues that take precedent from time to time. Remember, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. But it helps to know as much as you can. The best preparation is always a touch of wisdom. Till next time, everybody. Peace and love. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.